morning. It's great to have you here this morning. We are 6-8 Church. We're trying to be a church of disciples who do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God from the Bible verse, Micah 6-8, where it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly. And that's the kind of church we're trying to be. We're trying to be a church that does justice in our community, that loves mercy, that doesn't just pretend to be merciful, but that loves mercy, and um, that we... That we uh, we do that in a way that is humble and glorifies God and not ourselves. And so um, this morning, we're going to continue on in our Love Illuminated series. And I just realized that I forgot to put a video in there. So um, talk amongst yourselves for two minutes. Okay, sorry about that. That's all my fault. A couple of things I want to draw your attention to before we get into the video and the, and the topic for the day. Um, the first thing is we have the Saturday before Easter, we're going to do an Easter egg hunt and a community brunch. And so we need to start collecting Easter eggs and individually wrapped candies to put in the eggs. So if you could start bringing those to the church um, starting next week, if you'd help us fill those and make the eggs and uh, give, give it, get the equipment that we need to have the Easter egg hunt and send some kids out and some families out, hopefully with a fun Easter egg hunt on Saturday, April the 19th, uh, Saturday morning. We haven't set this specific time yet, but we will let you know when that is. But we'd love it and really uh, greatly appreciate it if you'd help us collect eggs and candy for that. And you can just bring that and we'll have the, the trash can, can make a difference can out there to collect those things by the entryway. Um, starting next week. So we'd appreciate that. Also, coming up the, the week before Easter, we're going to be doing something we called Serve Week. And 
um, that those evenings we're going to be sending teams out throughout all of this neighborhood that we have. We have seven or I think seven or eight routes that we're going to send people around. And ideally, we'd like to have a couple of teams every evening going around to different parts of the community and picking up litter and just kind of being available to help in that community if you come across somebody that needs some kind of help, but then also praying for those neighborhoods and those areas and uh, just kind of being around and, and making our presence known in that area. Um, we're going to be sending out a flyer, at least the plan is to send out a flyer, and we want to collect um, the the needs of the community, the needs of this area directly surrounding us. And so um, that's something you can be aware of too. We're going to be putting on the, on the flyer a link to go to our website and fill out a form if you have a specific need that, that maybe a church could help you with or some area that you could use some training or whatever that, that need might be. We're trying to get a feel for the needs of our community, our, our immediately surrounding area, so we can so we can do that well in serving our community. So those might be some of the things that come up for that, and those might be some things that we also just kind of put on the docket to work on over time as those needs arise. So keep those, keep those in your mind. And then the last thing, at the end of the service today, we're going to do something a little bit different. That's why we're sitting at tables. We're going to uh, share communion at the tables together instead of coming forward like we usually do, and I'll explain that when we get to it. But also, in the middle of the table, you should have some cards that say who I'm praying for and inviting to Easter. And what I would like for you to do is as we go through the service this morning, I would, I would love it if you would just take some time and just as God brings people to your mind, your 8 to 15 that we've talked about, and uh, 8 to 15 is the 8 to 15 people God has put in your life uh, that are already there, that you already know them, you already have a relationship with them. The 8 to 15 people God has put in your life to, to be the light of God's love to. And then those would be the names that you could write down and then start praying for them and inviting them to Easter and, and making sure that you're doing things uh, with them and caring for them and serving them throughout the next few weeks so it's not just a cold invite, but uh, that you've actually earned the right to invite them to Easter on that Sunday. Um, and then at the end of the service, we've got um, some holes in the rock walls up here, and we'll just have you roll them up. Nobody's going to come up and go through them. We're not going to inventory all the names, but we do want to pray with you over those names and pray with you as you're thinking about inviting them so you can roll those up into a tight little, uh, a tight little pin-sized roll and then stick them in the rocks here in the walls at the front. During the, during the end, we'll tell you when to do that. But write down your names and put your names on that sheet who you're willing to pray for and invite to Easter. And Easter is coming April 20th. April 20th. We're not doing a Mario Brothers themed Easter. Although my son Henry would love that. Um, but um, today is about 30 days. It's actually less than 30 days until Easter. At the end of the service, you're going to get a little booklet of something we did last year called 30 Days with Jesus. And we're just going to spend the next 30 days as a church focused on the life of Jesus. And um, my hope is that one of the reasons we changed to do John, we were originally going to do Ephesians at the beginning of the year. And one of the reasons we changed to, to John is because I felt like we really needed to focus on Jesus for a while to just to make sure that we understand how amazing what Jesus did is and that we don't take that for granted. And so I, I hope you'll take one of those booklets home. It was on the website. You can actually still go find it online, too, if you want. But um, take one of those booklets home and, and just spend the next 30 days really getting into the story of Jesus and, and uh, doing a daily devotional and prayer focus, and then we'll all come together on Easter and celebrate the grand finale of that story. Um, but you'll be able to get one of those on your way. We'll have uh, ushers and greeters at the door for you to get one of those. Um, 
daily devotionals, if that's what you want to call it. But this morning, um, we're, we're, we're continuing on kind of where we started last week. We took a big jump last week and covered a bunch of things, the, the suke love versus the zoe, or suke life versus the zoe life. And um, if you remember, I'm going to try and go back to chapter 3. I'm not going to go all the way back to the end of the series. I just want to remind you kind of where we have come over the last several weeks. In the beginning of chapter 3, Kenan talked about Nicodemus and needing to be born again, and, and that kind of led us into what is your soul? The week after that in John 3.16, and we wanted to know what is the soul with which you're going to love the world? What's the, what's the way in which you're going to love the world? And that led us into John the Baptist and his disciples competing with Jesus' disciples and wanting to fight for who was best and who was greatest, who, who had the biggest following. And, and John made it clear we're here to make much of Jesus, not to make much of ourselves. And then last week we, we kind of talked about that the difference between the suke life and and the Zoe life, and how Jesus came to give us this Zoe life, this eternal life, this life that uh, he'd always dreamed of us having. And uh, it was a long sermon, and people were patient and bared with me through that one. And so you can go find that one online if you really want to get in touch with that. But God gave us the, the desire to have a life that is much more than the life that we're currently living and the life that we're experiencing in this world. And this week, we're going to move into Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and that kind of sets us up for taking the Lord's Supper together at the end. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 13, that's where we'll start. But before we get into that, um, here's a quote that you're probably going to hear a little more often from me. It's from David L. Watson. He's a church planter. And he says this, movements are found where there are a few leaders of thousands and thousands of leaders of a few. Movements are found where there are a few leaders of thousands and thousands of leaders of a few. A few leaders of thousands, thousands of leaders of a few. It's kind of contrary to the culture that we live in where, where it seems like we want to get a mass following. We want to get a lot of people following us. But as you look at Jesus' life, yes, he had people who followed him, but, but the people who really poured himself into, the people he really led that ended up leading the world and the movement that we're a part of now called Christianity, um, those those were 12 people, 12 apostles, and actually one of them that we're going to find out about today was actually not a follower. So there were 11 people that started this movement, and they started it by being led by Jesus, just a few. And he actually had three people that he was really close-knit with in that, tw- in that 12. And then, and then they went out, and they did the same thing. And so it's contrary to how the world would tell us we need to be building a movement. And I think this is very important for us to understand. It's important for us to really grasp this because... Because we're not trying to do something the way the world would do something. We want to do something the way Jesus has taught us and led us to do something. So, um, speaking of that, I want to show you this clip. Um, it's from a, a church that you probably know. And this I, I might offend you if it does. I'm sorry. And you can go join their picket line. But uh, some news this week. You know, there's a pastor that died. And um, a lot of other church leaders were, were glad that he had kind of finally moved on to the gates of glory, um, maybe, I have no idea where he is, but, um, but Westboro Baptist, you guys have heard that, these are, this, this is the, uh, the genius, uh, with, uh, with, saturated with sarcasm, this, the genius church that, that goes out and pickets funerals of fallen soldiers and, and does all kinds of ridiculous, stupid stuff, and they say it's in the name of Jesus. Well, I want to, I want to show you something this morning that happened this week when he died. Let's watch this. First time since their pastor's passing, the controversial Westboro Baptist Church holds a protest. But tonight it's another message that sticks out. 
Brenda Elise Gonzalez is live at the Midland Theater downtown where some chose not to fight hate with hate. Brenda? Mark Lord's concert is just wrapping up here at the Midland Theater. Earlier this week, the pop star had sent out a tweet to her fans that would be coming here tonight, telling them to have a counter-message for protesters. She took that tweet down a day later, but fans and people all around Kansas City still listened. Two very different messages standing side by side. On one end, members of the Westboro Baptist Church holding the same signs they've taken to nearly 53,000 events. I think if, if people are forced to have to stare at that, they should have the option to have something good to look at. Tonight, however, is a sign never held before at one of their protests. It reads, sorry for your loss, referring to the church's former pastor's death earlier this week. Megan Coleman helped make the sign. We realized that it wasn't so much about antagonizing them, but sending out the counter message, you know, that we are here for people who need that message and need some positivity. Yet the message meant nothing to Steve Drain, a longtime Westboro Baptist member. I don't even know what they mean by what they're saying. Yet Coleman has noticed that the Westboro protests have had a ripple effect. In fact, a positive impact. It does still kind of bring everyone else together, and so I think it's kind of counterproductive on that end. The protests haven't ended tonight. They'll be protesting tomorrow night outside the Uptown Theater for the Kathy, Kathy Griffin event. Live in downtown Kansas City, Brenda Lee Gonzalez, 41 Action News. Yeah, so um, we live in a great country. You can, you're free, as be, free to be as big of an idiot as you want to be, and you know we support that. But um, isn't it a great indicator of, of where we are as a culture, kind of where we are in a world where, where somebody in the name of Christ is bringing more offense than someone who has nothing to do with Christ? Um, that was... That was a Kathy Griffin concert, and she was the one that sent out that tweet to, to originally get people to respond with kindness and compassion, you know, kind of a counter-protest to the protest of the church who was coming out and, and saying ridiculous, stupid things about how God hates, I mean, one of the things you saw, saw there was God hates lukewarm Christians, and um, just, just an entirely contrary idea of what was actually uh, brought when Jesus came, and, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at... Look at how Jesus came and what he did and how it was totally contrary to the system that was in place. And it's definitely contrary to the system that we're used to today. It's, it's not, it's not uh, we're not like the Westboro Baptist where we're going to go out and picket people. We want to be like Jesus and, and serve people by washing their feet. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. So if you will, if you'll join me, John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, we'll cover the first 20 verses. This first verse is, is kind of a, a script note. It's like a, it's like a transition note from John, and, and he's just kind of setting the, setting the stage for what's about to happen. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go, go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now remember that, that's an important, that's an important thing. We'll, we'll draw that out in just a little bit, but it's important to know that he came from God and was, was returning to God. He was a messenger for God. Verse four, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, Simon Peter said, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know, I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. He's talking about Judas. Verse 19, I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Now, there are four things that we're going to kind of narrow in and talk about here this morning. I hope to move through them pretty quick. Uh, Bear with me if I don't. But um, the first thing is, unless we go out, no one will hear the message. There are four unlesses, so you can write these down if you want. Unless we go out, no one will hear the message. And this, I want to point out the fact that, that we are sent by Jesus into the world to represent him. And by representing him, we're actually representing God. So, so there are a couple of phrases in there that we need to, to go back to and, and look at. In verse 3, it says, um, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his control and that he had come from God and was returning to God. We talked about that idea that, that comes in, in Jewish law, how important it is to be a good messenger, that when you send a message to somebody, they need to be able to relay that message clearly without messing it up. And they didn't have email and mail and texts and all of the ways of communication we have today. They relied on messengers, people, to send a message to a distant place. And so you needed to have a reliable messenger. And so Um, When we talked about that, we we talked about how Jesus was the messenger from God, and he was coming on God's authority to share the message, and he wasn't sharing anything that was outside of what God had already given him to share. He was sharing exactly what he was allowed to share. And then, uh, then we get again in verse 16, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So we hear again that he's talking again about messengers and senders. Messengers and senders. In verse 20, he says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So we then become the vicarious senders. So uh, Jesus sent out the 12, and the 12 went, and they spread the gospel throughout all the world, and the world traveled, or the gospel traveled throughout the world up into Europe, and then, you know, the pilgrims came across over to North America, and then the gospel spread over here, and now here we are today, 2,000 years later, but we are the result of senders being sent by by senders being sent, by senders being sent, by senders being sent, generations and generations and generations of senders. 
But the reason this is important, you know, why, why, do, why should we care? Why should we care about the whole sender, the whole messenger thing? Why does that, that matter? The reason is if, if one of generation, if at some point one of the generations stops sending, it stops. If at some point along the way we, we stop sending the message out, if we stop taking the message out, unless we, we go out, there, there will be a whole generation of people that don't hear the message. There will be a generation of people that miss out on, on the gospel because we are not being sent like we should be sent. So unless we go out, no one will hear the message. Here's the second one. Unless we serve like Christ served, we will make this about us. Talking about church. Unless we served like Christ served us, we will make this church about us. Here through this passage, we see Jesus teaching a lesson to his disciples about, about humility and about servanthood. Now, uh, there are some things you need to understand about the, the way that this was. They didn't have tables and chairs when they sat down to a meal. They were sitting down at probably a table that was maybe 18 inches high off the ground or, or, or thereabouts. And they would sit and they would kind of recline and they would put their legs off to one side and kind of lean on a pillow and, and then, you know, casually dine for an extended period of time, you know, maybe an hour, maybe two hours. It was, a, it was an extended meal. It wasn't just, you know, sitting down and, uh, or just driving through the drive-thru and, and mowing down a Big Mac and fries on the way home from work. It was, it was an extended time together. It was a time of community, a time of fellowship. And so you can imagine if you're sitting at, at a table, you know, the, the image of the Lord's Supper, the painting of the Lord's Supper comes to mind and you're sitting there and you're kind of sitting with your feet off to the side and there's going to be somebody sitting right about here. Now, the other thing you need to understand is that uh, feet weren't as covered then, as they are now, you know, most of the time, most of us uh, wear shoes and socks. Some of us wear sandals. Some of us don't wear shoes. But for the most part, we're, we're, covering, we're covering our feet and, you know, trying to keep them clean. And even with all of our attempts at covering our feet, by the end of the day, our feet are still a fairly unpleasant thing, at least for some of us. Maybe, maybe if you're a woman, that's not true, and, you know, you get a pedicure, but your, your feet are probably still gross, and, you know, poor people who do the pedicure, and if you're a guy here who gets pedicures, well, then um, we'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you're sitting at this table, and your feet, after having walked around with sandals, open sandals, you're, and getting dirt, and, and walking for miles and miles, your feet would probably be just utterly disgusting, just gross, covered in dirt and smelly. I mean, you know how, how some people's feet just stink when, you know, when you're wearing uh, leather sandals and there's, there's no air circulation, there's nothing to keep the air moving, so it's just your foot, your skin on that leather sandal, and by not very long after wearing them, your feet begin to smell really bad because there's nowhere for the stink to escape. And so, you know, you imagine that with the disciples and Jesus coming and, you know, they're sitting down at this table and normally a, a servant, a, a slave would have come in and, and washed their feet. So, you know, somebody who was, was hired to, to do that or was, was paying off a debt to do that, they would come in and they would wash the feet. But for some reason, Jesus washed their feet. And it's so contrary to what would normally happen. We need to pay special attention to it. We need to, to, to learn the lesson. And that's why Jesus asked the question, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked that. And right before that, he had said, you don't understand right now what's going to happen, but, but in a minute you will. Is basically what he's saying back in verse um, 7. He says, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. And then he asked the question, do you understand what I've done for you? 
And then he answers, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, imagine if somebody rich and powerful or famous, uh, somebody that, that, uh, that society or culture would deem as greater than us, walked in to the room, um, and, and they kind of sat down, and then they sat down at your table, and as they're, as they're sitting around this table, they just get up, get a towel and some water, and they start taking off your shoes and washing your feet. We can't imagine that. We can't picture that because for the most part, the way the people that have that much money live would never, ever find themselves in a situation where they could even have that opportunity. But here Jesus, the the creator of of all the universe, the, the one who was present with the Lord when everything, with God when everything was created, the one who sat on the throne in heaven and then humbled himself and became a man and walked among us. This God, this God of the universe, this Jesus who was here on the earth, he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. It's going against the pattern of their culture. You know, there were no Pharisees or teachers of the law who would have done what Jesus did. Maybe, but probably not. But he's reminding us of of how his movement is going to carry on. It's not going to be carried on by people who get full of themselves, who get proud and arrogant, who, who get puffed up with pride and put themselves on a pedestal and then lord themselves over the people around them. That's not how the movement of of Christianity has been carried on. The movement of Christianity has been carried by servanthood and sacrifice. He's showing us that this community, this this thing we call the church, will be built around selflessness. And he, the king of the world, said in Mark 10, 42 through 45, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. They bark down at them. They, they, they look down on them because they are better than them. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If our leader came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many, how do you think he wants us to be his church? It's not by standing on the street corner with signs and and condemning the world around us. It's by going out and serving them in love. It's by loving one another in such a way that we we unconditionally love, we unconditionally serve one another. We, We lay ourselves down so that we can make the others the greater. We aren't trying to fight for some kind of position. We aren't trying to fight for some kind of reward and accolades. We are trying to be the servant of servants. We want people who come here to feel like we love them because we serve them. We don't want people to come here to feel judged. We don't want to be out in the world judging people and making fun of people and, and saying things that God would never say, that Jesus would have never said while he was here on the earth. We, we want to be out and show them the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what happens when you're attached to the vine, which we'll get to in just a minute. So the first and last was unless we go out, no one will hear the message. The second one is unless we serve like Christ served us, we will make this about us. Number three, unless we let him carry our dirt and clean us, we can't be his disciples. Unless we let him carry our dirt and clean us, 
we can't be his disciples. There's a strong desire in all of us to want to earn our own righteousness, to want to be able to, at the end of the day, said we, we did this so that we could prove that we are righteous, that we don't need anyone's help. We don't need anyone outside giving us grace. We can just prove that we are good enough on our own. We have everything we need for the life that we have been called to live. So we don't want to rely on somebody else to make us clean, to make us righteous. But that's exactly what Jesus is representing here in this passage. He's talking about being made clean. Now let's go back and look at it. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, Simon Peter said, you should never wash my feet. He's not going to let Jesus wash his feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So, you know, head first, Simon Peter replies, well, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. And then he reminds, John reminds us that he knew Judas was sitting there who would betray him. Here's something that, that I really think we need to remember. We were forgiven for all of our sins when Jesus Christ did the work that he did on the cross. We were forgiven for all of our sins, and, and this is important, past, present, and future sins. Before we came to Christ, we were sinners, and you know, most of us understand that, that before we put our faith in Jesus Christ, you know, I was, we were sinners, we were living according to the ways of the world, not according to the ways of God, and so when we come and put our faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, you know, we understand that we, that we need forgiveness, we need to turn from, from that sinful life, and we need to turn into the life God has for us, and so we understand that at that point we need to be made clean. But I think where, where arrogance creeps in and where pride creeps in is that, that we think that, okay, well, we're clean. So now we can just go on and live life without any, any thought about the kind of life that we're living. And some of us continue on and, and sin. Some of us continue uh, or create an entirely new life, but different kinds of sin creep in. And, and we become proud in our, in our new status as a believer. We become proud in our new status as a Christian. We walk around puffed up with pride that we are clean. But what we have to understand is, that, is that, that being clean is a continual process. It's a daily activity. Here, Jesus marks it out for us clearly. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though, though not every one of you. He's not just talking about washing feet. He's talking about how, how we have been made clean once. We, you know, we were washed. We were made clean. But then every once in a while, you need to wash your feet. Every once in a while, you need to be made clean. You need to clean off the, the dirt of this world. You need to clean off the, the dirt that collects when we are walking and doing our thing in this life. And, and we need to be made clean again. We need to wash off the dirt. It's a continual process. We're, we're never perfect. We never arrive at, at the sanctified life. You know, we never arrive at the perfectly holy life is what that, that word sanctified means. We never, we never get to this point where we're, in this world we're perfectly righteous. We do everything perfect. You know, we, we can walk around and, and tout our accomplishments because we have lived the perfect life. We're never going to get there. That's never going to happen. Not for me, not for anyone in this room. Jesus is the only person who lived the perfect sinless life. Everyone else, including all of the apostles, everyone who came after Jesus has had sin in their life and they need to be made clean again and again. We need to let 
let Jesus wash away our sin on a regular basis. He keeps washing our feet and he continues to forgive us and, and discipline us. First John 5 through 10 says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Listen to this, verse 8. 1 John chapter 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This letter is being written to a church. It's being written to followers of Jesus Christ. And, and he's saying, if we claim to be as the church, as the followers of Jesus Christ, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11 says, But God disciplines us for our, for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but is painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God, God forgives us and disciplines us so that we become more like him. He, he doesn't want to just walk around like idiots that don't know what we're saying. He doesn't want us to walk around and proclaim a message that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to walk around and, and, and boast about how we have been made righteous, how we have been made clean, how we have something to brag about. He wants us to serve the world and to love the world unconditionally and, and to go into the world in a way that, that brings honor to his name, not to ourselves. But we can't do that if we don't let him clean us. We can't do that if we're trying to be righteous on our own. The fourth thing, the last thing, um, comes from the book of uh, Second Zeus. Unless we care an awful lot, it's not going to get better. It's not. I've got a clip I want us to watch from the Lorax. Uh, it'll fit in really with really well with the the talk about seeds and everything we've been talking about for the last several weeks here at the church getting ready for Easter. Let's watch this. I am Ted Wiggins, and I speak for the trees. And the fact is, things aren't perfect here in Sneedville, and they're only going to get worse unless we do something about it. Unless we change our ways. And we can start by planting this. Okay. Come on now. Everything's fine. Right? I say we tell this kid what we think about that seed. People, come on. You, get out there right now and get these people on my side, or else you're fired! <laughs> Go on, tell them what you think. You don't know me, but my name's Cy. I'm just the O'Hare delivery guy. But it seems like trees might be worth a try. So I say... 
let it done good being Paul. You done good. 
his mustache. Sorry if I just ruined That's the end of the movie, so if you haven't watched it, that's, that's a spoiler, but <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert after the fact. I know you're supposed to say that beforehand, so I know it's a kid's movie. I know it's a kid's book. I, I know some of you probably have a problem with that movie for whatever reason, because you don't think we're supposed to take care of the earth or something like that, but... There's so much uh, that, is, that pertains to us about that scene that we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that, that, has, that is far removed from, from what it was supposed to be. And unless somebody cares an awful lot, it's not going to get better. And unless we plant seeds, unless we are the people that are, that are committed to bringing the change that the world needs to see, and not just being the change, but bringing change to the world, nothing's going to change. There, there really is no hope unless we bring the hope of Jesus Christ to it. The hope of the world that the world brings to itself is somebody who, who tries to make a profit off of selling air because they've cut down all the trees and there's no good air left to breathe. That's, that's the kind of hope the world has, that... that that the world can bring to itself, but we bring a, a hope from the outside. We bring a hope from a perspective of the God who, who created it and knows what it was supposed to be and knows how it can be and knows what it could be and knows what he wants it to be again. We bring a hope to the world that nobody else has. We, we as the church, as the followers of Jesus Christ, we have a hope to bring. And it's going to take a lot of us and it's going to take a lot of Jesus to make this world a better place. We're not going to make this world a better place by making much of ourselves, by being puffed up with pride and trying to get people to serve us. We're going to make the world a better place by going out and serving the world and loving the world the way that Jesus loved the world. How did Jesus love the world? Well, John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That's the same word as cleans that was used in John chapter 13, for Jesus cleaning the disciples' feet, every branch in me that bears no fruit, he prunes, or every, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean. There's that word, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. You can't go off into the world and produce fruit by yourself. You have to be attached to the vine. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Jesus Christ. I am the vine. You are the branches. Don't get it messed up. Don't get it wrong. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're, you're like a branch that is thrown out and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, in you, ask whatever you wish it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Look, it goes all the way back to God. It's for his Father's glory that we bear fruit. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. He came from the Father with love and he loved us in the same way. Now, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to remain in that Love. What is that love? If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. 
Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. What kind of love? Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You can imagine Jesus, this is, this is the same time frame where, where we're talking about. This is the same talk that he's given to his disciples. The same evening, you, you're my friends if you do what I command. He looks around to the 12, he looks around the table and says, you're my friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Listen to this. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. What kind of love are we supposed to love one another with? It's, it's not the love that, that, that ends when the, the other side of the, the contract is broken. It's not the kind of love that ends when, when the person on the other side isn't loving us the way that we want to be loved or vice versa. That's not the kind of love. It's not the kind of love that the world loves each other with. It's, it's the sacrificial, life-surrendering, life-giving love. Greater love has no one than this but to lay down one's life for his friends. And I chose you. Looking around the table, I chose you, I appointed you, I, I, I picked you, I put you in this place you are here because I want you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Not, not just the fruit of this world, not just the fruit that will be destroyed when this world goes away, but fruit that will last forever and ever. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. You can't reap what you can't sow, what you don't sow. You can't reap what you don't sow. That was one of the lines from the song. If we don't sow love, if we don't go out and plant love in the relationships of our 8 to 15 and the people in the world that God has put around us already, if we don't love them the way that Christ loved us and laying down his life for us, if we don't surrender our own agendas and our own desires for the, for the good of the other person so that they might know the unconditional love of Jesus Christ, if we don't lay ourselves down, the world will never know the love of God. But if we lay ourselves down, if we surrender ourselves, if we humble ourselves and allow Jesus to be the most important thing, allow Jesus to be the one that is exalted and lifted up and allow Jesus to be the thing that drives us, if we humble ourselves and plant the seeds of the gospel in the world, then we can plant the seeds for life change. It's not just seeds that will last until the end of this world, seeds that will literally last for an eternity. That's what we've been called to do. That's, that's why we're here. That's what we're talking about this morning. We can't just continue to come as a church and just take and just come together for an hour or two on a Sunday morning and call it good and go back about our weeks and, and expect that everything is going to be okay. The world is relying on us to be the change. The world is relying on us to go into the world and to do what we're supposed to do. We can't do it sitting in this room. We can't do it when we are gathered together. We have to go into the world and bring love to the world. It's not a request. It's not a if you feel like it. It's a command. We have to be the people that do it. But why? You know, why? Why should I do this? Why should I care? Why, why should I bother 
trying to love. I'm just going to get hurt. I'm just going to get wounded. I'm just going to get rejected. Somebody's going to take advantage of me. And yes, that very well may be the case. But when you are attached to the vine and, and you are producing fruit, what is it that happens? You get cleaned more and more. You get more and more of the world pruned away. You get more and more of the world taken away from your life and you become more and more like Jesus. You become more and more righteous. You become more and more sanctified. You become more and more like Christ. And, and as you do that, you just produce more and more fruit because you're attached to the vine. And if you've never experienced that, if you've, if you've never been a part of someone else's story coming to Christ, I would invite you to just take a risk and give it a try this Easter. Give it a try. It's, it is one of the most rewarding, amazing experiences. It's like when you have kids and you get to watch them experience the world for the first time. You know, we have four kids, eight, almost six, three, and two, and for all of them, it's been a joy to watch them experience and, and see the things of this world and, and to look around them. You know, Harper, our youngest, you're hearing sounds. What's that? What's that? Swinging on the swings for the first time and experience the, the joy that comes when you feel like you don't weigh anything and you might fall to your death and then you don't and you get to do it again and then you're okay and, you know, you start to trust people, you know. And you see the, the smiles and the laughs and you just hear this, this joy that comes from these kids as they experience things for the first time. And it just, it just gives you new eyes, how you look at the world. It gives you a new, a new a passion, a new, a new enjoyment of the things around you. And, and when you lead somebody to Christ, when you're a part of somebody coming to Christ for the first time, when you are part of somebody's eternal story, their eternal destiny being changed, you get to experience the same thing. They get to come in, they get to come, and you get to watch them be baptized. You get to watch them share the joy of them being baptized. And maybe you can even take them through the multiply movement and be a part of their multiply group and you get to see them learn about the grace that they are experiencing and about the life that they get to live now in Jesus Christ. You get to watch them mold, be molded and shaped into the image of God and, and then you get to look at them as they grow and as they mature and you get to say, I had a part in that. I was a part of that. I helped plant that seed. I tilled the soil. I worked the ground so that I could be a part of their story and now look at where they are. They're doing what I did for them. They are out in the world preparing the soil so that Jesus can be planted in people's lives. You get to experience life and joy all over again. If, you're, if your walk with Jesus Christ is stale, if you've never experienced that, then maybe it's time to share the gospel and get reborn a little bit yourself. If you haven't had a connection and an encounter with Jesus Christ in, in several years, then maybe it's time for you to get beyond yourself a little bit and just go and invest in somebody else and share the love of Jesus Christ with them. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He, he gave everything, everything. And are we going to honor that sacrifice by giving everything for him or are we going to squander it and just let it sit and rot and wither away? God forbid that we take for granted the work that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We're gonna cover that in detail in the next couple of weeks. The pain and the humiliation and the suffering, the execution None of us would choose to watch an execution unless you're some kind of sick and weird person. You don't want to go watch an execution because it's 
It's the life being taken away, but the executions we have today look humanitarian by comparison to how Jesus died. The last 24 hours of Jesus' life were some of the most brutal hours any human being has ever experienced on this planet. And he did it for love. He did it because of his love for us, because of his unending, undying love for you and me. And the amazing thing, he did it while we were sinners. He did it knowing in advance all of the bad choices, all of the ways we would walk away from him, all of the mistakes we made. And he died for us anyway. And he died to keep us clean, knowing the mistakes that we're going to make in the future. He died, sacrificed his love and his life for that. Don't take it for granted. Don't, don't just go home and just, just forget. Don't just go home and just go back to life as normal. Don't just go home and, and just get back to your routine for, for a minute. If somehow you can remember that, that Jesus Christ loved you enough to die for you, then, then please remember And if you can remember tomorrow, that's the point of walking through 30 days with Jesus, is that we want to remember for at least the next 30 days as much as we can what Jesus did, the life that he lived, the price he paid. We need to remember. We cannot forget. We cannot take it for granted. We can't just sit idly by as a world that is clamoring for the attention of the people. Many of maybe sitting in this room, the world has gotten a hold of us in a way that we just can't let go. And, And the only answer to that grip that the world has on us is Jesus Christ. And the only way that they have hope is if they can be set free for eternity. Because there's a day coming, and I don't know when it's going to be. It could be this year. It could be 10,000 years from now. But there is a day coming when Jesus is going to return. And time will be up. There will be no more time. So we need to work today. We need to work now while it's light, before, before it gets dark. We need to work now while we have the opportunity. We need to work now before the darkness comes, when no man can work. We need to work now. Be driven by this love. Shortly after Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and shared about the vine, they, or I think before, before he shared about the vine, they took part in a Passover celebration. They shared together at a meal called the Passover. And sitting at the table, there's some bread and juice covered, and this is our our form of remembering that. We're going to do it a little bit different this morning. We're going to have the passage from 1 Corinthians up on the screen for you um, to read. And what I would love to have happen is to have one person maybe just take charge of reading that and guiding people through it. You see there are two parts here. We normally do this, so you're probably familiar with it. Let me just read it and kind kind of share what I would like to see happen. This is Paul speaking, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So have somebody at your table. Maybe if you're, if you're bold enough, you can offer to be that person. Just read that, those first two verses, verse 23 and 24, and then stop and everyone eat together at your table. It doesn't have to be the same time as other tables around you. It doesn't have to be the same time as anyone else in the room, but but stop maybe give yourself some time for prayer, some time to remember what Jesus did. And then 
And then we have verse 25. After you've, after you've done that, after you've taken that bread and eaten it, give people time to chew. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, which is exactly what we need to do. We need to remember the sacrifice that was, re- that was made for us. We need to remember the sacrifice that Christ paid on the cross for us. And then we need to proclaim the death of Jesus Christ until he returns. We need to proclaim the death of Jesus Christ until he returns. So I'm just going to go, I'm going to play at the piano just to uh, make it a, a little easier for some of you who want to speak. If you're afraid, there won't, that way people around you won't, won't be hearing you. But just as you're sitting around the table, somebody take charge and, and read that passage, the first two verses, and then eat together. And then somebody take charge and, and read the next two verses and then drink together. And then we'll come together and close with a time of worship.